further. Keep going. Keep going. A little more. Don't be afraid. How many of you think you need to see my face? No hands went up. Well, good morning, everyone. No, Pastor Keith did not forget to come to church today. He's in Orlando playing, I mean, uh, installing an elder in one of the churches over there. And Evan May just couldn't stand it that Pastor Keith wasn't here, so he went over to Christ Community Church to preach. But that's okay. Jason is here with us this morning. All right, all right, all right. I had asked Jason, I said, now, are you going to be in the congregation this morning? Yes, yes. I said, okay, because somebody needs to be in here just to make sure that I behave myself. It's not going to help, but... Hey, McCracken, how are you? Good to see you coming in here this morning. There's the biggest guy in the world, six foot five or something. Can he even come in here without being noticed? So good to see you. Good to see you. Ah, great. This morning we're continuing in Matthew, so let's turn and let's see how we do this. How am I supposed to do this? Hit this some kind of way? There it is. I hit it. Nothing happened. There it is. I hit it again. Don't hit it. Eric's not ready yet. Ah. Now, what about the whole, uh, what about the whole thing? Well, let's do this. All right. Well, if you would be turning to Matthew chapter 6, we're continuing in our study of the Lord's Prayer I've been on staff here, it was 25 years in July, and well, for those of you who are visiting, my name is Peter Davidson, one of the pastors here at Lakeview Christian Center, and the reason they're clapping is because some have actually continued to come to church after meeting with me, but 25 years. <clears throat> And I, like Keith and Jason and Evan, have had the occasion to meet with many. I look out the congregation this morning, and I can see and remember many of you who have been in the office, why you were there, what was happening. And with a few exceptions, people come to see pastors not because everything's going well, although there are some who really just want to come and share great, wonderful testimonies like that, and we're thankful for that. But typically, you wind up in the pastor's office or you meet with a covenant group leader because something has happened in your life that has created anxiety and frustration, fear, 
hurt. And I wouldn't ask anyone to raise your hand, but I think probably everyone would fall into this category somewhere or another. Have you ever experienced being hurt by someone? Has anyone ever wronged you in any way? In any way? And the problem with being hurt and wronged, at least from our perspective, well, all around, is how do we respond to it? What do we do with that? Now, I know what I want to do when I'm wrong. <laughs> I know what I'd like to do when something attacks. But the question is, what has God created us to do? May I say it like that again? The question is not what I want to do, but what has God created me as a believer in Jesus Christ to do? This morning, this verse that we'll be covering will answer to that because in the Lord's prayers Keith has shared with us several times what we find is as Jesus goes through the aspects of this prayer it's a very short prayer <clears throat> we find our needs there needs that perhaps we weren't aware of immediately but as we begin to pray as we begin to think as we begin to meditate Holy Spirit begins to list needs that we have, real needs. And so this is a gift prayer that God has given to us in order to help us communicate with Him and communicate with one another in such a way that the obvious and regular needs of living as human beings in a fallen world can be met in such a way that God's purpose and pleasing are maintained and developed in us, the church. So let's read it together. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Oh, I know why you put 11, because I said that on there, didn't I? Same on me. So let's read it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those, our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Now, some of you may remember, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That may be in some Bibles, it's not in others, but we won't go into the reason there. So that's the prayer. So let's begin to take a look and see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Father, To say that you are amazing is an understatement, but yet, Father, the only way that word amazing should ever be used on our lips is about you. 
nothing else, no one else in this world is amazing except you. And Father, we've come this morning to hear from you, and yet in two words that you gave this morning, two words that were not coordinated with us but were given by you independent of our leadership and our input, you have emphasized the necessity of what we'll talk about today, especially in the word that you gave to Chris. Father, my personal concern is always I don't want to be in the way of what you're doing. So I ask and we ask together, Holy Spirit, make this word real, active, effective, and continuing in us for your name's sake, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a look at the prayer. I think you probably have it somewhere in your notes or obviously if you have a Bible. And let's notice something. You remember when you studied English a long time ago? What is a pronoun? It is a word that takes the place of a noun or other pronoun. Remember? Us, we, they, them, that kind of stuff. So let's take a look at this prayer. And let's look at the pronouns that are used. Look at verse 9. What pronoun do you see there? Our. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> Us, our. Look at verse 12. Us, our, we, our. Look at verse 13. Us, us. What does this mean? What is the implication, the obvious message that Jesus is giving us in this prayer? And I think sometimes we miss this, but we want to make sure this morning that we don't miss it. Jesus is using these plural pronouns to convey the central significance about this prayer, it's a family prayer. This is a prayer about and for the members of the family of God. This is our prayer that only those of us who are in Christ, who are saved, who have been born again, who have received the forgiveness of the blood of Christ, this prayer is only for us to pray because no one outside of the body of Christ, outside of the believers, can correctly, accurately pray this prayer. They can certainly say it, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, that is in heaven, give us a day our daily bread. Isn't that how we used to say it? How many of you used to say it like that? You know, just blah, 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 blah. And yet this is our prayer. And so that, what does that mean? This means this. When I say all of us, I'm talking about those who belong to Christ. This means this. That because we all belong together to God. How many of you would say, I belong to God because of my salvation? How many of us are belong to God? 
All of us who are saved do. Because we can say the fact and the truth that because all of us belong to God, we also must realize that all of us belong to one another. Now, there's the rub. Now, look around and see if there's not someone sitting near you that, I belong to you, Mo. No, Mo. I belong to Mike. You know where the real challenge is? Y'all also belong to me. <laughs> it's easy to say you belong to one another, but remember, I'm in the mix, right, Shane? And this is critical for us to get right in the beginning. Because we belong to God and we revel in that and we understand how absolutely eternally significant this is, therefore we all belong to each other. You know, one of the things that we have noticed in this church that God is doing, and trust us, we are glad for this, we are becoming, just a little bit at a time, less and less an all-white church. Which means this, that every believer of every ethnicity and race and culture and language, we all belong to one another. Amen, amen. Yes. So, we all do. You see, just as our physical bodies, when one part of my body hurts, the whole body hurts. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So if you are having an ache in your hand, I can give you a way to get rid of the ache in your hand. Take a hammer and hit your foot. All of a sudden, the ache in your hand has diminished. But have you ever noticed that when any of us in our own bodies suffer for in a particular way, I, 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 it feels like I'm hurting all over. I'm hurting all over. Why? Why is that so spiritually and literally physically among us? Because we are of the same body, one in Christ. Therefore, you see, because we are all members of the family of God, our God-created priority is to love one another in the very same way that Jesus has loved us, John 13, 34. And how has he loved us? How has he loved us? We sang about it this morning. He has loved us all the way to the cross. Amen? Now, is there anyone in here who would dare say, I don't want that love to be operating in me anymore because it's just too difficult? No. We all revel in that. So let's look at verse 12. Ah. Family forgiveness family forgiveness now you're going to notice 
that I'm going to take a little time this morning and I am not going to rush through this. I am not interested so much in information as I am in conviction and effect. Because we're not careful as teachers and preachers, we go through the word quickly and we have to be careful that the priority of preaching and teaching is the administration of God's word by his spirit for the purpose of affecting our being conformed to the image of God's son. It's not just we're up here to say a lot of stuff and preach and say things. This is a light show, correct? Verse 12, first part of it, and forgive us our debts. You see, this verse tells us how to be receiving the daily benefits of God's forgiving grace. What did we ask in verse 12? Uh, verse, what comes before 12? 10? Thank you. What did we just ask in verse 10? Give us this day our daily bread. Continue to give us, to continue to shower upon us, continue to pour out upon us the grace of your presence and work and the benefits of that grace. Amen? How many of us need a daily flowing out of the benefits of God's grace? We all do. We, can't we cannot survive one day without the active, or one hour, maybe one minute, the active presence of God's powerful grace in us. So we have to ask, Father, give us this day our daily bread. And then in verse 12, we get this, forgive us our debts. Well, what debts? The debt we owe God. What debt do I owe God? Sin is a debt. What does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages, what do you get? Debt, wages, money owed, money earned. For the wages of sin is death. And so all of us, because we were inheriting Adam's sin, and because we sinned, we inherited, we were born with a monumental, eternal, unpayable by us debt that we owed God. And there was no amount of work that we could do individually or collectively to get out from underneath the debt. It was a crushing death knell debt to us. Forgive us our debts. Well, but I thought that in Christ we were already forgiven. Well, what does Colossians 2.13 say? Having forgiven. What tense is that? Present, past, future. Real. One of, which door? Present tense? Having forgiven. Which tense? It's something in the past. Having forgiven us what? What word? I'm, what? Y'all should know this. What word? Having forgiven us how much, Billy? Oh! It's a word that you should shout out. Having forgiven us how many? Oh, oh come off it. I hear more than if, if, if we were going to Disney World. <laughs> this is better than Disney World. This is better than winning the Super Bowl. How many debts have we been forgiven? 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm giving you all my death. Mm. There's time for excitement and joy and exuberance in Christ. And when it comes to the enormity of what God has done in Christ at the cross, we should be those who ever explode in emotional gratitude. So yes, we've been forgiven. But what in the world? He's, what, what is this word? In this verse... We are not so much asking God to forgive us over and over and over again. Because if you don't forgive, Judith Ann, you won't be forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, you're going to hell. There are people who preach that. If you sin and you don't ask God for forgiveness, as a believer, and you don't ask God for forgiveness, last one, if you sin as a believer and you don't ask God, you're going to hell. I was meeting with a pastor one time. We were in Irkutsk, Russia, waiting for the bank to open and chatting out there. And he asked me something about that. I said, well, Joe, I'm going to call him Joe. Sorry about that, Joe. I said, suppose a man has served Christ diligently for 40 years. Then one day, for whatever reason, he goes into a bar, gets drunk, comes out and gets hit by a truck before he can confess it. And right out of his mouth, he's going to hell. That's not Bible teaching. How many of you are glad of that? You know why? Because the enormity of our sin is what we don't know about. Can you say amen? amen. Are you all awake today? It's Valentine. Happy Valentine. Okay, fine. The enormity... It's, it, our sin that we know about is like the iceberg that we see. What's underneath the water is what's going to kill you. 90% is underneath the water. 90% of our active sin as a fallen body is underneath the water. It's there. And so how can I possibly confess every sin? All of us would never sleep. Yes. We've been forgiven in Christ. So it's not a matter of us asking God over and over to forgive us, but to keep us clean from the daily pollution and the impurity of our forgiven sin as we continue to commit sin. Did you get that? It's asking God to continually cleanse us of the daily pollution and dirt and defilement of our forgiven sin which we daily commit i hope you got that did you get that anyone did you not understand that that's what's going on here father thank you for your forgiveness keep me ever clean of being overrun by the defilement by the manipulation by the effects by the death smell aroma and tentacles of sin and satan keep me free of that amen how many of you want to go back under the bondage of sin and be crushed now don't raise your hand on this one but there are some of you in here i know who you are and if i know who you are there are probably many more and I don't say I know who you are in, a, in an attacking way, but in a very concerned way. 
There are some of you in here who are actively allowing, pursuing, and cooperating with enemies' activity of putting you back under death's activity and effect. You're letting him put you back in the grave. That's happening in some of you in here. I know I walked that way for years because of abusive home life and all of that. I walked for years. Even after having been saved, not realizing and allowing the continuing effects of past and present sin to bind me. I ain't doing it no more. Because once you're free and you recognize and experience the freedom, you're not going back there. Oh, you may tippy-toe a little bit and get close or whatever, but you're coming out fast. That's what he's asking here. The washing, the continual washing. Whoops, not too fast. Let's read from John 13. Remember, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his going away. He's going to go to the trial be crucified, died, and buried. <clears throat> and now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began began to wash, wash, <clears throat> wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, that this is typical of Peter, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, wash all of me, wash everything. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, The one who has bathed. Let's read it together. Jesus said what? The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. And, of course, he was talking about Judas. So what is he saying? He says, man, I've forgiven you, except for Judas. You're forgiven. But you're going to walk out of this place into a spiritual malaise, and you're going to get your tooties dirty. How many of you have children who have brought dirt into the house on the shoes of feet? How many of you threw that child out of your life because he or she had dirt on him? Come on. How many of you felt like it? How many of you disown your child? Why? Because you see, he or she is your child. And you don't throw your child out when he or she gets dirt on their feet. If you're a decent parent, what do you do? You wash their feet. That's what God is saying to us. Jesus is saying, 
I'm going to keep you washed. You're forgiven. I'm going to keep you washed. How is he going to do it? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us from all unrighteousness or under the presence or the dirt or the defilement, the mud of the unrighteousness that we get into as we step into the mud of this world. So now that the effects of our forgiven sin have been washed away, how many of you are glad that God washes away the effects of our sin? How many? Come on, come on. But here's your problem. How does he do it? How does he keep us clean? Through a number of methods. But there is a major method that God uses to keep our tooties clean. And here's where the problem is. How do we get the benefits of washed feet? Whoops, well. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Boy, is that a bummer? I mean, really, isn't that a bummer? Now, some of you should be laughing with tears of concern. And some should be laughing with tears of joy. Some have experienced wonderful freedom in this area, and some are still under a hellish bondage. I have met... Well, let me accentuate couples, husbands and wives, because often there's a tussle there that doesn't happen in other members of the family of God quite like that. I've met with husbands and wives, and there has been a huge, huge wrong committed from time to time in some of these members. Now, some of you are looking at me this morning knowing what I'm talking about. You've been in the office. We've met many times. We've had telephone conversations. And it always is amazing to me that if the husband has wronged the wife, let me just use that scenario, although that's not the only scenario, but let me, let's just use that. I have a picture of some women in this church, wives, whose grace left me with a mouth open because of the way they responded to their husband's infidelity. Women in whom I have seen the power of the glory of God's gospel more actively than I have seen in many others. And when that happens, to the great personal, emotional, mental, spiritual cost to the wife, God brings reconciliation to bear. I could ask some of these women, they're in this audience this morning, to stand up. I'm not going to, but I could. And I don't think they would mind. And the only reason I wouldn't, because we don't want to expose people's issues. 
You see, if our feet are going to be washed, we must get a hold of this. God has decreed, God has decreed that our feet will be washed in relation to our washing the feet of others. Remember that, washing the feet? In John 13, 14, and 15, Jesus continues, and he says this, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, what? You also should what? Wash one another's feet. Now, how many of you know washing feet is a stinking, nasty thing? I believe, I, I could be wrong about this, but my opinion, at least slightly held, is that the issue and the ability for me or you or any of us to forgive a wrong, and of course, it depends on the severity of the wrong, is probably the greatest single spiritual, emotional, mental struggle you will ever go through. We're not talking about tippy-toeing through the tulips here. We're not talking about, oh yeah, forgive him. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most costly activity of eternity. Why? In Christ, we have been forgiven in his death. I can tell you this. I am here this morning, not because I'm such a good man, but because I am a man in whose life his wife was one of those ladies. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the powerful, effective work of God's forgiveness in my wife toward me. And you say, well, what do you do? It's none of your business. <laughs> it's God's work. When did you do it? It's God's work. Don't be stupid and give in to the devil. I know something about this personally, and I know something about it biblically, and I know something about it vicariously through many of you. As to the same degree or to the degree that we have forgiven our debtors, having received the grace of God's forgiveness, we now are to give it to one another so that both the forgiven and the forgiver both of us can walk as cleansed children of God. Both of us. Both. I couldn't walk cleansed of issues in the way I need to had my wife been refusing. And she couldn't walk in as a cleansed member of the family of God if she hadn't given it. So you see, a wrong perpetrated 
someone is receiving the brunt of that wrong, they are affected. Then the one having perpetrated the wrong is affected. And if forgiveness isn't there as an activity back and forth and given and received, both remain under the effect of the sin. And God is dishonored, ultimately. You see, our washing of the feet of others with our forgiveness. We wash one another's feet with our forgiveness of the other. It keeps us clean from the defilement, defiling impact, the detrimental impact of their sin upon us so that together we can become free of the effects of sin. So you see, in this way, we're fulfilling the command of Jesus, remember in John 23, 13 that we read, love one another, how? How? In the same way, what? That I have loved you. And how much forgiveness has Jesus withheld from us? How much forgiveness has he withheld from us? How much? How much? And yet we are going to say, which is what Chris's word was, We're going to do that when the God of glory has said, I withhold nothing from you. And we're going to say, and then we're going to refuse, and then we're going to ask God to bless us. Could there be weakness and issues in your family, in your life, because of this? How seriously does the Lord take this issue? Let me read from Matthew 18. Therefore the kingdom of God of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle one, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. How many of us owe God 10,000 talents? You understand what's happening here. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity and mercy, right, for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred denarii. And seized him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me, and I'll pay you. And refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Probably all of us from time to time have been the tendinary person. There's someone in your life who is a tendinary person. Please forgive me. Please, please release me. Please, please. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went out and reported to master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtor. Do you see the conversation? Are you connecting it? Amen? Are you? 
Are we connecting it? It's connected. And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your, from what? What is that word? Heart. Now, forgiving looks like Jeremiah 31, 34. Chris referenced this from Hebrews, which is also a quote. I will forgive the iniquity and remember their sin no more. Now, the remembering of sin here, <clears throat> and I need, to, hopefully, it's okay to tweak Chris a little bit. Where are you, Chris? He's already left. It has not as much to do with forgetting. It has much to do with holding it against. Holding against. God no longer in Christ holds our sin against us. Now, how many of us have sinned in our lifetime more against God and more grievously against God than against someone else? He doesn't hold our sin against us. How do I know that also? Romans 8, 1. What does that say? There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. In other words, for everyone who is forgiven, God no longer, he decides no longer to hold or act toward us or think toward us or reference us or to respond to us as if we have been sinners. He acts now toward us as if we had not sinned. It doesn't ignore the sin but it receives the sinner as a son or a daughter into the house. So now the whole activity of applying his grace to us changes from condemnation to reception and maybe discipline. I hope you're not like I am, but I have committed on occasion the same sin more than once I have been impatient in my life more than one time having been saved since I'm saved I've been critical in my day since I've been saved at least more than once and I'm so glad that God does not hold that against me but receives me as a son now he deals with it doesn't ignore it wouldn't it be a terrible horrible tragedy if God sent his son to the cross to forgive our sins and then turned around and held them against us he can't do that because he's not an unjust God and we are his forgiven being declared righteous children so now that the world may see the justness of God and the righteousness of God in us as we forgive one another in the same way as we have been, been forgiven. I've heard this said a few times in my day. Well, someone needs to pay. 
Does that mean that the other person gets off free? What do you say to someone when they say, well, someone needs to pay? I've been hurt. I've been damaged. I've been wrong. Got it, got it, got it. Understand it. What do you mean when someone has to pay? What does that mean? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? Someone has paid. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Amen? Do you believe that or not? If Jesus has paid for it all, then why the thought that we should entertain someone should pay? Is anyone going to get off scot-free from sinning? No, because every sin that we have ever committed has been paid for. No one gets away with sinning. And those whose sin have been forgiven, who continue to commit sin, so we all do, we are being disciplined. And then there is the final judgment before the throne of God himself where the issues done in the body, whether good or bad, you remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. These issues will be come up before the Lord of glory. Mm. Not in a condemning way, but in a washing way. No one gets away with anything. So don't think that your friend, your husband, your, your mother, your wife, your grandma, your whoever, that person there, the guy in Washington, D.C., nobody gets away <clears throat> with anything ever. Amen? Nobody. God will discipline those whom he loves. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. But what is my personal responsibility as a believer? It's to act toward one another in the church as God has acted toward me. How many of you are parents or grandparents in here? Parents and grandparents, thank you. Some of you were willing to raise your hand on that one, then how many of you love God? But I understand that. I mean, no, no I, understand. I got that one. I got that one. I think there are a lot of things in a family that are hurtful. I'm sure every one of us have experienced hurtful issues and activities in our families. Probably go back and you remember. But I think probably at the top of the list is when you see one of your children or grandchildren hurt another one of your children or grandchildren. Or one is asking to be forgiven and the other one won't. Do you know what we're talking about? Who is hurt the more? The child or the parent? Who feels it more? What do you think? The child or the parent? The parent. The parent. It gets your heart as nothing else can do. The grief to see your children not caring and loving one another. I remember when my aunt was dying, she raised us. One of the things she asked on several occasions, Peter, take care of Darren, my sister. Take care of Darren. Take care of Darren. Because you see, a parent loves all, if there's a decent parent, loves all the children 
equally. And the heart of the parent is grieved when one child acts wrongly against another. And then it is further grieved when that one who is wronged refuses to forgive. Because how many times have you as a parent forgiven your children? And you say, sweetheart, did you not know? Did this not? Therefore, see, this is, this is a big insult to God. It is the height in my mind of idolatry that I would in any way refuse to forgive one who has offended me in some way. To set myself up over the preeminence of God himself who forgives all of us of everything continually. Listen to what Jesus said about our refusal. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, as you did not forgive this morning, as you do not forgive, as you do not do it to the least of one of these, you did not do it to me. You see, because the primary recipient of our receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness is God. The primary recipient of our receiving and giving forgiveness, we're not the primary recipients. We're the secondary. The gospel is for, from, and about God. And so the primary recipient of our receiving and then giving forgiveness is God. And so when we refuse, for whatever reason, whatever reason, he's done it 62 times. Remember how many times I sinned against my brother? Seven times, a lot of times in one day. If there's any reason of withholding of that, the Father is not receiving the honor and the trust and the glory that he deserves. We're saying that the blood of Jesus is only partially effective to forgive me, but I ain't going to give it to the other. For the sake of the name of Jesus, will you forgive one another? Will we forgive one another? As Eric is coming on down, we're going to take communion. And the brethren are coming to give out the communion elements now. And what we're going to do first, Eric is going to lead us in some singing. And we're going to receive the communion elements. If you come on down when the ushers let you come out, come on here and turn to the left, go back. You know how we do. Just take the elements and sit at the chair and hold on. Don't take them yet. And communion is a celebration of a family meal, which means that if you're not a part of the family of God, if you're not sure, then this morning you want to become a part of the family of God because of what we've talked about. If that desire is in your heart, 
You need to just say, Lord Jesus, I realize I have sinned. I need your forgiveness. I do not want to go to hell. I want to be cleansed and forgiven and come underneath from underneath the burden and, and, and control of Satan and sin. If that's who you are, ask Jesus, just receive what God is giving you in Christ right now. But this is a family meal. And so Eric is going to be leading us in song, and then we'll... I'll come back in a moment to share. Are they coming around while I'm singing or no? <laughs> no? So come on, ushers, let's lead the people. Let's lead. Come on down. No list of sins I have not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only Justify a single wrong. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My death was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by Him, and He alone can give me rest.
righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by Him, and He alone can give me rest. And He One's been served. If you're able to, you might want to turn to Luke 22, verse 14 to 20. It's one of the four accounts of the Last Supper. And the Word of God said, And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, and for, the new, and for you is the new covenant in my blood. This morning, at this point, we're celebrating the greatest meal that has ever happened on earth, anticipating the greatest meal that will happen in heaven. As we remember the sacrificial death of Jesus to forgive us. I want you to st stop for a moment. Let's not be in a hurry. What did it cost this man? What did he have to go through? physically, mentally, emotionally, and especially spiritually in order to forgive us of our sin. First John 1, 7, for the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Aren't you glad? All sin. Jesus paid it all. All of it has been paid. I owe nothing more. This morning as we prepare to take the elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus, 
Let's take a moment to remember and give thanks, first of all, for Jesus' death for our forgiveness. Just right where you are. Thank you. What would have happened if Jesus would have walked right past you and not called you into the kingdom? He wasn't obligated to save any of us. But God chose us, but wasn't obligated. What would have happened had you not been in the kingdom? What would happen? The most terrible thought of all. But God did save us, didn't he? He has forgiven us. What grace. What grace. Now let's take a moment to examine our own selves, our own hearts, our memories, our thoughts. And to determine if we are harboring any unforgiveness against anyone else in the family of God. You know, the spouse who discovers infidelity in the marriage. The employee who has been neglected by an unfair boss who has not given him the raise or the promotion that he actually deserves. The person whose life savings has been destroyed by an unscrupulous investor. The single person who has been rejected on several occasions for marriage. The family member who has experienced years of antagonism from a sibling or even a parent. Just in this room, there are so many hurtful scenarios, so many, so many. I remember when I was a sophomore at LSUNO here in New Orleans, majoring in English, when the professor accused me of cheating on my term paper and gave me a D rather than flunking me hurts, misunderstandings, attacks, wrongs, vilification, slander, gossip, being ignored, being left out, wrongs. You see, the wrong is real. The hurt is real. And it should not be ignored. Feeling the hurt and remembering the hurt is not the problem. But the hurt needs to be healed for the sake of the name of the one who has shed his blood on the cross for us. And for the, so we can say without any equivocation, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father. So this morning as we prepare to celebrate our forgiveness, let's begin to put and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Begin to put it into practice. The apostle tells us, love keeps no wrong. And so as we forgive another, I release myself and that other 
from the detrimental effects of that sin. I'm not going to brood or ponder over past wrongs. I'm not going to allow my mind to think about them and to rehearse them, which is the devil's activity. And most amazingly, I was a sinner, unsaved, unforgiven. You remember in Luke 15, the boy who took all his money and squandered it. Do you remember he took the father's grace and squandered it? And then finally he came to his senses in verse 17. I will arise and go back to my father. And so as he traveled back, then the scene changes from the son to the father. And here's the father on the hill daily looking, watching. Is today the day my son will return? Sees people walking back and forth. No, that's not my son. It's not my son. <gasps> then one day he sees a figure of a young man coming toward him. But could that be my son? Look at how straggly, how filthy the rags. It's my son because I recognize his walk. <gasps> it's my son. And the father runs down and throws his arm around this boy and kisses him. Takes his robe off and puts it around the boy, covering his filthiness. Gives him the ring of the father's authority and shoes for the boy's walk. And that night they have a great celebration. For this my son who was dead is now alive. You know why we're here? Because when we were still sinners, God pursued us. And when someone sins against me, I am now not only to forgive them and to decide not to act in a way that holds that sin before me and them, but I now am to pursue a restoration of relationship. Is that difficult? Is it? But how difficult was it for the Son of God to do that for us? Can we? Yes. Why? Because greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. Because I have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus Christ, the risen Lord of glory, now lives in me, and I have the mind and the power of God by his Spirit to do according to the will of God. Amen? So the point is, is it too difficult? That's never the question. The question is, will I honor and obey my Father? What about trust? Trust needs to be rebuilt. And trust to be rebuilt takes time. Takes time. And proof. And proof. But forgiveness continuing allows that trust to develop. Time and evidence. Ken Sandy, the founder of Peacemakers, gives us four statements about 
forgiving one another. I will not dwell on this incident. Satan wants you to dwell on it. That slimy snake wants you to dwell on it, to keep you captive. His fangs dripping with a poison. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. For Christ's sake. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. And I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. This morning in taking communion, we are deciding to do this toward someone. Now, if you say, I can't do it, may I ask you not to take communion? Don't lie to God. Don't do it. Put the communion stuff down. It'd be better to go before the Lord and say, I don't, didn't do communion this morning because I need, you know, wrestle more, whatever. Be honest with God. One more admonition and request. Some of you may want to write down while you're here today the name of a person or persons who need to receive your forgiveness. You may need to do that now in your, what do you call it, notes. The name of a person or persons who needs, whom you need to forgive. Whom you need to forgive. You know, you know who it is. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you and for many. When you take this, do so in remembering my forgiveness of you. So those of us who remember God's forgiveness of us and his son and give that forgiveness to others who need it, Let's together take the bread. Likewise, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, the cup, the cup that had been traditionally reserved for Messiah. He took that cup, the cup of Elias. And he said, this cup is the cup of my blood for the everlasting covenant. As we drink this cup today, this represents the spilling of the life of the Lord Jesus for our forgiveness. So that we may be cleansed and then turn to a brother or sister and be used in forgiving, cleansing to another brother and sister, another son or daughter of God, so that the entire family of God may be kept clean and rejoice in the glory of God. Amen? So if you're willing, and we'll do that, to give forgiveness to another, and thank God for yours, let's take the cup together.
we're going to do two things. Eric is going to lead us in singing and celebrating. But then after that, some of you may have to go. But there are a few of you in this congregation who are in desperate need of physical healing. We would ask that you would come on up here. Let's do it this way, as we sing. You're in desperate need of physical healing, and there's several of you. We know who you are. We're not going to come catch you. Would you come down as we sing? And then the elders, let me ask you brothers to come on down and let's get the oil because there's going to be a couple of three folks. Bill, Bill, Steve. So let's stand together and sing together and a couple who need some physical healing, come on down. We're celebrating the Lord's work and forgiveness and cleansing and, forgi and healing. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Says drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comfort, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin.
scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand stand in your power and your forgiveness oh God Pastor Peter wanted us to rejoice together, so he came and asked if I would do this song. So we're going to do this song just to sing together one more time of this forgiveness that we've been given. The greatest day in history, at the speed in you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And oh, happy day, happy day. You washed our sin away. And oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same.
Got some folks still praying up here. You guys are free to be dismissed. We'll be lingering here just for a little while. my sin